Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Program note here, follow us all week here on WDET as we air NPR's coverage of the hearings of Brett Kavanaugh, who is the nominee to go to the United States Supreme Court to replace Anthony Kennedy. We will be following that all week, and you will be able to hear all of the questions that senators ask and the answers that Brett Kavanaugh gives, as well as the other folks who plan to testify on his behalf or against him. And that is where we start the program today. Today, the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to kick off its hearings with Brett Kavanaugh, who seeks the role of Supreme Court Justice. He would be the 114th person to ever serve as the Justice of the United States Supreme Court. These hearings are going to allow senators to question him on his legal opinions. And of course, there will be ample time and room for lawmakers to make their own political views really well known. It's difficult to say right now whether Kavanaugh will easily win all the votes he needs to be confirmed. But one thing is really clear. We are so far away from the days of nearly unanimous bipartisan support for people who are qualified to serve uh, on the United States Supreme Court for people who are nominated by the president. The word or the name that should be in everybody's mind this morning is Merrick Garland, the person who was nominated by President Barack Obama, the federal appeals court judge, nominated to replace Antonin Scalia. He never got a hearing. He never got a a vote. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, of course, now comes along as the second of Donald Trump's picks for the Supreme Court to get presumably both of those things. So the nomination of these Supreme Court justices has become one of the most politicized questions in the U.S. Senate and in American politics. Uh, It is a very difficult uh, thing to try to think of how we get back to the space we used to be in or forward to another space where qualified nominees all are treated the same, all are treated Equally, uh, joining us now to talk more about what we will see this week with Brett Kavanaugh, as well as what we might see on the court if he is confirmed, is Richard Primus. He is a constitutional law expert and professor at the University of Michigan Law School. Richard, welcome to Detroit today. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, so l- let's start with uh, the the history here. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh would be the 114th. Justice confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, he he comes along at a time, as I said in the open, when we are probably more divided as a country about how this all ought to work. Uh, what's on your mind as we prepare for this in the sort of meta sense here, in the in the historical sense of what's going on? So th- three things are on my mind. The first is about the confirmation hearings themselves. Mm-hmm. And the second is what the Supreme Court will be like if Kavanaugh sits on it, which I think he probably will. Mm -hmm. And then the third is about the future of the Supreme Court as an institution. Where is the line of development going based on crazy and unfortunate things that have happened in the past couple of decades? So let's let's take them in that order. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a ton of attention to these confirmation hearings. People have been counting down uh, to them. Um, There will be wall-to-wall media coverage of all kinds. And I understand why that is. It's a, it's a big deal for a new Supreme Court justice uh, to come onto the court. Mm-hmm. I will not be watching. 
Hmm. Um, I, I do not plan to watch the confirmation hearings. I don't plan to listen to the confirmation hearings on the radio. I don't plan to read a lot of the coverage. Um, it, it doesn't really reward the effort. And I'll, I'll say a little bit about why um, and about how we got here and what the confirmation hearings really function to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- there's not really anything important about the candidate that the Senate doesn't already know that's likely to come out in the confirmation hearing. Sure. Um, Brett Kavanaugh is a judge of a bunch of years' experience. He has a paper trail um, of decisions. People know basically who he is and what he stands for. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I should say, I believe that his experience and his talents qualify him for the position. I, I think he's a qualified candidate. I think that's, that's an easy call. Um, I, I don't agree with a lot of his views of the law, sure. but I definitely think he's a qualified candidate, and I think that the Senate knows everything it needs to know uh, to know that. It's really unlikely that any senator's mind is going to be changed by anything that the nominee says at the hearings. Right. Um, the senators mostly go in knowing what they plan to do. And if any of them really wanted to understand Kavanaugh better so as to figure it out, the hearings would be a terrible way to advance their understanding. Because what happens in hearings, in these hearings anyway, is that the senators, one by one, give set-piece speeches, the point of which is you know, to, to praise Kavanaugh or to criticize him, or usually just to stake out their own positions. And then the candidate gives answers that are respectful but evasive sure. to the extent that he can. Yeah. Um, that's no way really to understand another person and the subtleties of his thinking. If they really wanted on either side to understand him better, they would have private conversations with him, which they have the opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the last time any confirmation hearings really produced new information that might have been relevant to a candidate's um, viability to serve as a Supreme Court justice was in the confirmation hearings of Clarence Thomas in 1991 when accusations of sexual harassment against him surfaced. And he was confirmed anyway. Mm -hmm. And he was confirmed anyway, even though the majority of the Senate was from the other party. So Mm -hmm. that's not figuring out who the nominee is and how the senators should vote is not what it's about. What the confirmation hearings are... So now you ask, like, so what is the social function of the confirmation hearings? It's also not really to educate the public. Um, it, a lot of things about constitutional law will be said. Sure. Uh, a, a few of them will be insightful. Mostly they'll be sloganeering and posturing. It's not really a good teaching vehicle. Um, I think that the real function of the confirmation hearings now is for the benefit of the senators. A confirmation hearing for the Supreme Court is an opportunity for a bunch of senators on the Judiciary <laughs> Committee, one by one, to get a lot of air time, to get right? their <laughs> moments on television, right? For the next however many minutes, every cable news network and, and, and this wonderful radio network and all the other journalists will focus on Senator X yes. and his or her exchange with the nominee, which is an opportunity for Senator X to try to seem learned and erudite 
and it's an opportunity for Senator X to show himself or herself as a champion of this or that legal cause or political cause or constitutional perspective. Right. If the senators really, really wanted it to be about substantive discussion, they wouldn't ask most of the questions themselves. All the senators employ lawyers who are experts in this stuff more so than most of the senators are, because if you're a senator, no matter how smart you are, there's only a little piece of your brain that can be spent on this issue. Oh, You've right. got a thousand other things also to do. Yeah. They all employ legal experts who could ask you know, more sophisticated questions and follow up in more depth, but they don't want those people to ask the questions because that would defeat the purpose, which is to let them do their show. Yeah. Yeah. So since that's what the hearings themselves are about, I, I don't intend hmm. to spend time watching. If anything really interesting or really important about Kavanaugh's judicial philosophy or anything else comes out at these hearings. Uh, two weeks from now, someone will write an article about it. You know, you can spend <laughs> 20 minutes reading it, um, and, uh, and you'll know really what, what, what you'll you catch up with it. Yeah. Now, having said all that about the hearings themselves, which are essentially theater, which really, I, I think the American Republic would be better if we just got rid of them. Mm. We didn't always do it. It's only really in the age of television that it's we've true. done it this way at all. Yeah. Um, Having said all that about the hearings, the appointment is enormously important. Yes. Right? They say, Judge Brett Kavanaugh is likely to become a justice of the Supreme Court, and there are ways in which it will and ways in which it won't change the Supreme Court. So, first, it's important to be clear about a way in which it won't change the court. People have talked a lot about the coming conservative majority on the court. Well, it's had a conservative majority since the 70s. That's exactly right. So that is to say, the, the Supreme Court has had a majority of Republican-appointed justices at all times since the year 1970. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, like, I'm almost 50 years old for like almost my entire life. When Roe was decided, there was a Republican majority. Yes. Right? When everything else in the last 50 years has been decided, there was a Republican majority. But the Republican majority hasn't always been equally conservative, mm-hmm. hasn't always been conservative in all the same ways. Because in 50 years, the Republican Party has changed a lot, right? Um, the party has uh, shifted in multiple ways. There has been a general ideological sorting between the parties. Right? Mm-hmm. There used to be some Republican liberals and some Democratic conservatives, and you know, there are fewer and fewer now which means that over time, what has happened is the particular Republicans who comprise the majority have gradually become more conservative than the ones they replace. So, um, uh, for example, in the 21st century, one of the big new things that the Supreme Court has done is taken a vigorous attitude toward the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms. The thing that pushed the Supreme Court in a direction where it wasn't willing to make those decisions wasn't about the retirement of Democratic justices and the appointment of Republican successors. It was that an older generation of Republicans, Chief Justice Rehnquist and Justice O'Connor, left the court, and they were replaced by a newer generation of Republicans, Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Alito, who had more conservative views on those issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The question is, which Republicans and how conservative, and that's been the line of direction now for for decades. The big shift with Kavanaugh 
will be this. Once Kavanaugh takes the bench, the majority will not just be Republicans. They will all be Republicans who came to the court in the time of ideological sorting, right. not in the time before. Yeah. Right? Um, Kennedy was the last Cold War justice. Right. Right? He was appointed at a time when there was more bipartisan consensus, and what that meant wasn't that his views weren't mostly conservative. They mostly were in really important ways. But it meant that his views on important issues weren't all conservative movement views. In his generation, leading Republicans were ideologically diverse on social issues like abortion sure. and affirmative action. Yeah. And that's what's much less true now. Yeah. And, I mean, it almost feels as though the Republican Party and its <clears throat> approach to nominees and to some extent the Democratic Party, they have been less likely to indulge chance or or hope. Right. Uh, the, the idea of picking a good judge and hoping that that person uh, sees sees the law exactly the way that the president who's appointing that person does. Uh, now it seems as though the only way to get a nomination is to prove that you will not deviate from the the, the sort of orthodoxy that uh, that the president who's appointing you has. And and you're right that is a that is a modern iteration of of this process, uh, very different from from before. I think that's right. I think we can't know for certain how well they do sure. at trying to do that until we see it play out over the long term. But I think that's mostly right. And I think that when we think about what consequences that's likely to have with Kavanaugh on the court, um, we need to have a relatively broad lens. Mm -hmm. A lot of the first level of attention is on the abortion decision. And for understandable reasons, Roe is a decision and abortion is an issue that powerfully motivates people on both sides of the aisle. Right. And um, Kennedy was the last Republican justice who um, had voted in the past to reaffirm Roe. In fact, the last time that the question of overruling Roe was squarely before the court, mm -hmm. it was 1992, and five justices voted to uphold Roe, yeah. and all five were Republican appointees. Stevens, all five. Stevens, uh, Souter... O'Connor, Kennedy, I won't remember and, the fifth. Um, and Blackman. And Blackman, that's right. right. Um, so there's a lot of focus on Roe and a lot of either hope or fear, depending on your perspective, that Roe will now be overruled. And I think it's, you know, it's quite plausible either that Roe sometime in the next few years would be overruled or that without formally overruling Roe, yeah, the Supreme Court will out. whittle back the abortion right in a sort of death by a thousand cuts sure. way. I think either of those things is totally plausible. But, um, but there's much more to it than that. Um, it's, it's also about issues like affirmative action sure. and campaign finance yeah. and the rights of working people and yeah. consumer protection discrimination and law discrimination law is one area of the law that that I think uh, the, the the current court majority has been very effective at at sort of limiting right they don't um, they don't uh, eliminate the, the the laws that are supposed to protect people from discrimination in the workplace or in housing or 
or other places, but they interpreted it in a way that essentially there is no such thing as provable discrimination. So uh, in a bunch of contexts, I think that's right. I should say that I don't think it comes, for the most part, from, um, from a view that discrimination, especially discrimination on the basis of race, is tolerable. Mm-hmm. I think it comes from a view that says um, uh, the market needs to be free and government shouldn't be looking over the shoulder of businesses and asking what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is definitely a perspective that says that value is more important than certain kinds of protections against discrimination. Kennedy went a little bit this way and a little bit that way on that issue, right? Um, And it's not clear that that the court uh, will preserve that balance going forward. There is one other issue that people are talking about a lot, about what um, Kavanaugh will mean, where I think that Kavanaugh, um, where where I think a common complaint is actually misplaced. Mm. Um, A lot of people have said that it's inappropriate for Kavanaugh to be confirmed because he has a very deferential view toward presidential power, right? And he has even said that he thinks that sitting presidents should be immune from civil suit. And there's a concern that since we presently have the president we have, who um, uh, is under investigation of various kinds and being sued on various grounds and uh, might not be exactly the person who you would most want to trust with unchecked power, um, that that therefore Kavanaugh should not be confirmed, even even that Kavanaugh as a sort of quid pro quo for his appointment (laughs) would vote to immunize the president from investigations and suits. And this, I think, is really wrong. Um, It's wrong on multiple grounds, including that uh, Judge Kavanaugh doesn't actually think, hasn't said, that sitting presidents, as the law currently stands, uh, are immune from civil suit. He has said that he thinks that Congress maybe should pass laws to go in that direction, but he doesn't think that's the law now. And I don't know Judge Kavanaugh personally, but he strikes me as a person who has more than enough integrity um, to vote the way he thinks that the law requires him sure. to vote, rather than you know, making some sort of sordid payoff to a president. I, that criticism seems to me to be um, misplaced. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think that the, the the nature of their sensibilities around recusal might come into into play if, for instance, Donald Trump were to to, to have a case before. Uh, the Supreme Court about his presidency uh, and, and Kavanaugh were there. I'm not sure. I mean, the justices get to decide that thing, that kind of thing for themselves. I don't know what he would decide, but I think it would be one of the things that uh, would would factor into the. I mean, it, it might, but my own view, and I think relatively confidently held, is that there's no reason for him or for the other Trump nominee, Justice Gorsuch, to recuse in such a case. Mm-hmm. We have an independent judiciary for a reason. I think these judges are judges who are socialized into the norms of the independent judiciary such that there's no reason that the fact that this particular president appointed them should mean that they should need to recuse if his interests come before him. All of that strikes me, I think, as, um, as, as, as either overblown worry or opportunistic um, criticism. Yeah. 
Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Richard Primus, a constitutional law expert and professor at the University of Michigan Law School. We're talking about the hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who is seeking to become Justice Brett Kavanaugh of the United States Supreme Court. Uh, stay tuned to WDET and NPR uh, as we cover those hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee all week. Let's quickly go to the phones here. David in Dearborn, uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, I uh, hey. watched a lot of football over the weekend, so forgive <laughs> some of the metaphors here, uh-huh. but I wondered if there is, in fact, a viable strategy or playbook for the Democrats to block Kavanaugh. Hmm. Or, and forgive me, is this, a, a hail mary <laughs> right. and, and really are right. we are we watching the halftime show of a coronation <laughs> okay david I, I love the football metaphors there uh, richard primus i've got about uh, a minute and a half left but uh talk about what the strategy could be to prevent brett kavanaugh from being confirmed you know it's hard for me to say it, it, it it's not my expertise um and the the brutal fact seems to to me to be that there are, you know, just barely, but it's the case, more Republican senators than Democrats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The question is only whether, you know, one or more Republican senators uh, will change. I'm not sure that's something that the Democrats have um, in their power to affect. And, um, and I'm, not holding, I'm not holding my breath for it. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, there are, but, but, but this is something where there might be things that just elude my imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Richard Primus, constitutional law expert and professor at the University of Michigan Law School. It is always great to have you here to talk about these issues on Detroit Today. Happy to do it. Yeah. Okay. And remember, you can stay tuned to WDET and NPR all week to hear the proceedings in the Senate Judiciary Committee as Brett Kavanaugh seeks to become the 114th Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Uh, We're going to be back after a quick break. Stay with us. And thanks for listening. Thank you.